Welcome to To Know the Love of Christ. Here we are, chapter 9. Last week in chapter 8, we talked about how the author asked, who is like the wise man who knows the interpretation of a thing? And we talked about how he pretty much answered his own questions in verses 5 and 17. So while Hevel, vanity, as it's translated in English, is the theme so far of this book, and death it's recur- being its a recurring topic, the author also tosses in heavenly nuggets for us to know, as we're about to see again here in chapter 9. So Stephanie's going to go ahead and read for us. Yes, and I'm going to read again from the NASB this week, because I seem to like that rendering. All right, so starting chapter 9, verse 1. For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean. For the man who offers a sacrifice and the for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise, heard in quietness, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Do you think he's a little shaky in this chapter? I don't know. I, I We keep talking about like how they how things flow and it's just I feel like we're in a chapter of Proverbs again like it's splitting up and the next chapter is very very much the same way in the chapter before I feel like we're in this section 
of almost more specific proverbs. But no, I didn't. I didn't get that. Did you, I'm guessing you did. Yeah, I did. It's like he started off short and then got a little shaky. Maybe got short again, and then it, it, to me, he was kind of unsure of himself and of things. Well, what I think is crazy when you look at the whole chapter, which in the reading it feels lengthy, but it's only 18 verses, but they feel longer than what we've been reading. So we we know that this was his, some of this, all of this pretty much is his life experience. But in my mind, I can think back to instances that we have in scripture of things he lived out. In the part at the end of the chapter where it talks about wisdom being despised, I think about when Rehoboam became king and he decided to listen to his young friends instead of listening to the older, wiser men. And we know what happened. The kingdom split. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, what did he say? My father rolled with his pinky. Yeah. With the might of his pinky or something like that. Yeah. I would have to go. I didn't look up the verse. I'd have to go back and look that up. Um, but basically, my, my father was a softy, And I'm going to, man... I'm going to take you to task, basically. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom ended up splitting over that. But it's so crazy to me that we have... I wish I knew how many verses, like, completely. I could go and do all the math and count up. But through the 12 chapters of just life wisdom from him, and you go back to First um, Kings, I think it is where it talks about when Solomon turned away from God and he had all this wealth this intellectual wealth that he forsook on top of it which is where we get this from he he knew that I mean he had to know that otherwise we wouldn't have this book right yeah you know but he it's just sad to think how wasted it is but his wisdom yeah yeah Sometimes I think, I'm going to write down the things I've learned so my kids can learn from them, you know? Then I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Right, and that's the thing. And we know so little. You know, the older you get, the more you realize (laughs) how little you know. I try to tell my kids that. My kids are so sweet. I mean, they they obviously know how to insult me. They've done that multiple times. (laughs) Not purposely. You know, kids just say the sweetest, horriblest things. (laughs) Um, But they will... Clark will say, man, you're the smartest person about whatever it is that we're learning in school. I'm like, I know nothing. I really know nothing. (laughs) I know what I read to tell you. And that's, that's, that's all of it. That's the whole scope. Um, But, you know, we talk about people speaking from the overflow and Solomon, like we're assuming is the author. He speaks from the overflow, even when it is weaker, like it's still just so much. Verse 1 is a nugget, a heavenly nugget. Um, because after chapter 8, he here he states that the righteous and the wise are in God's hands. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see him have a little clarity, mm-hmm. you know, especially after chapter 8 when he was, oh, everybody's just going to die. What's the point type of attitude? And then he's like, yeah, but everything, the righteous are in God's hands. Right, and it, that verse 1 is kind of a continuation of the end of chapter 8. Yeah. So in 2 and 3, I got, I didn't break everything down. But, <laughs> you know, as things struck me, I was like, oh, I'm going to write that down. So 2 and 3 is another 
instance where he's saying no one is exempt from all that happens in this life. You know, the evil, like when I first, I remember first reading this a long time ago, I remember thinking, is he calling God evil, you know, or what he's doing evil? But it's not so much that as it is that, um, like, it's not God causing evil or that he's evil, of course, but it's the evil that's done or the things that happen to us that are not good, that are not blessings. That's evil. Um, it's everything that happens under the sun. It's because it's, this is not heaven. So the, while God created everything perfect, because of sin, it's not perfect. So everything that happens, whether it's to the just or the unjust, as it says in the New Testament, it's evil. You know, and not to the point where it's damning you to hell, but it's just not good. And anything not good, you know, yeah. is contrary to, to. Yeah, a different translation renders it. This is the unfortunate fact about everything that happens on earth. Unfortunate fact. fact. Yeah. Hmm. But I, that it's, it's almost a parallel there. Verse two. Well, and verse three. Um, back to where he was talking about the vanity in verse 14 of chapter 8 that takes place that good happens to bad people and bad happens to good people and here he's basically saying life makes us peers all of us it doesn't matter whether we're the king or we're the lowliest peasant it happens to us all bad things happen to us all in proverbs there's a verse that says um, something about even lizards are found in the castle of the king. <laughs> you know, <it> says, <laughs> but it just goes to show you that it's you know, like you said, we're all peers. What happens yeah. to one will happen to another. You know, it's a good thing I'm not a monarch or a ruler over a land. <laughs> My first lizards? decree would be to eradicate the lizards and the snakes and all the creepy crawly things. As you live in Florida. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. All right, so verse four, the first thing that stuck out to me is the first word, which is but. Mm -hmm. So it's a contrast. It is. So he talks here and, you know, he goes on to say, but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. What a visual for yes, you. Yes, I know. It is such a good word picture when you think about it. Because, I mean, I mean, dogs have good lives. you know, And dogs are content and loving and loyal. And, I mean, most people, there are people that are not dog people. And I don't own any dogs. Um, not currently, but I have in the past and they are just so loving and they are happy with their life for sure. But I mean, a lion that has power and force and on the food chain, he's pretty high up, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and people, you know, even humans reverence, have a reverent fear of lions, but yes, better to be poor, but alive then rich but dead is like one of the headings I saw for one of the translation or one of the versions. But that's so different from what he has said before. The whole theme of the book is Hevel. And it's like everything under the sun is terrible. But here he says, you know, those that are joined to the living have hope. Living dog is better than a dead lion. And that is so different but then he, he ties it to reality in verse 5. 
He does. He gets, he, the gravity comes in, you know, the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no reward for the memory of them is forgotten. And so it kind of ties the hevel in. Again. Yeah, I was going on to say that, but I was thinking while you were talking, even the mangiest of mutts, they're content. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the the wild mutts that walk around in the streets, or there are several verses throughout the Bible that talk about the dogs in the streets, and like Jesus and Mark calling that woman a dog. To even be a living dog, because there's still hope, there's still food, there's still a place to rest your head there's still so whereas the dead lion is good for nothing but decomposition and bugs yeah. eating it and just nothing no more meals and no more anything so even if you know you talked about the happy dogs the pets but even like the raunchy dogs yeah they still have life in them they do and i think that's what you know the whole point is that's yeah and like you said five and six um yeah the end of six there is such a huge contrast from what he usually says yeah definitely huge because he says and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun and he's saying it in the negative light Mm -hmm. but i mean the beginning of that verse you know their love and their hate and their envy have already perished like everything about them right the good and the bad yeah their whole entity that's heavy. That is heavy stuff. It's very heavy stuff. But like five and six elaborates like the dog and the lion, but then seven and eight, um, I would say it's paired with the one that has the living hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, and he, he puts this principle, I think, in almost every chapter. I need to go back and look. But basically, eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah. You know, enjoy your life while you have it. God has already approved your works. We know that God doesn't approve every work. Right. But basic human needs being met, God approves. I love verse 9. It's, I don't know. I guess I've been in a lot of conversations with my own husband about it. So for me, it's like a... Telling him to live joyfully. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, No, him talking to me about it. Um, But just that he throws this principle from marriage in there. I love that. Um, because that is not that's not something that's applicable to everyone. Not everyone is married, but if you're in this position, you know. Solomon was married. Yes, he was <laughs> quite a bit. But I love how. Okay, which of course I'm looking at ESV right now. Let me pull up the NASB as well, because um, I don't remember exactly how it renders that. It says, "Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life." Yeah, but verse 9 is kind of a eh kind of attitude. If you read, like the NKJV reads, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. I guess it could read kind of both ways. Yeah, I guess what mood you're in. (laughs) I guess. Because it's like, all the vain days of your life, your vain little life. Yeah, but I I guess I look at it more positively because it's connected up to seven. Because he's saying to live joyfully, you know, and let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the, basically, these are the joys of life. 
this is what you have to enjoy and your life is vain. Go ahead and enjoy it while you can. Because once mm-hmm. you're dead, you're dead. You're dead. It's gone. There will be no more enjoyment of that. The whole eat, drink, and be merry is not the same meaning as today. Oh, no. No. Because <laughs> back then to eat, drink, and be merry was not a bad thing. No, it was contentment. Yeah. Yeah. But today it's eat, drink, and marry, be merry because tomorrow we die. So drink it up, people. Yeah. You know. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Satisfy yourself. Yeah. But I think about First Timothy 6, 6, where it says godliness with contentment is great gain. Yeah. You know, and so I think, and we have to think about who he was writing to, of course. Um, he was writing to Jews, right? Mm-hmm. These things were written and recorded for them. So they would have been people who knew God and they would know to temper these things. So you, know, you think about when a preacher preaches and the things they say, they don't always include a caveat right. when the audience doesn't need it. He, remember how he always fussed about toil and stuff in verse 10? Mm-hmm. He's like, do it, but do it, you know, with all your might. You know, for the, there's a verse in the New Testament that says yeah, I that. Think I think I mentioned it last week. Yeah, Colossians 3.23, work heartily, as for the Lord, not for men, whatever yeah. you do. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. So, yeah, and it says there's no thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Which that word there, Sheol... I think it's talking about the Hadean realm. It's not talking about hell. Right. It would be no, talking no. about Hades. About death in the grave. Yes. yes. So, I mean, it, it's not a good place or a bad place. It's neutral. Who Everyone who dies. Right. You're not going to have thought or knowledge. So there's going to be a, a period of waiting there for us, unless we happen to be called home at the time that the judgment happens. So. And that's a thing, like, we haven't mentioned yet. This right. chapter has a lot of very often quoted verses. This 11 is, I have heard that quoted so many times by people out in the world. Race is not to the swift, nor the battle of the strong. And it's always used differently. So, kind of like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. But it's interesting that the things he says here, Paul writes mm-hmm. in his epistles. So yeah. it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> right. And 11, for sure. Let me look at 12. Again. Yeah. 11 and 12, it's kind of a continuation of earlier. Mm-hmm. Two and three. It's another iteration, a reiteration. 11, he says, and I returned and saw under the sun. It's like, returned from, from where? Where? Yeah. Enjoying. Which I will say... 11 in ESV says, again, I saw that under the sun. NASB says, I again saw the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. And before that, we were talking about a dead lion. You know, it's better to be a live dog than dead lion. But then 13 onward, it had me all confused. I'm like, who's this little man he's talking about? Like, yeah. why is this just thrown in there? Well, see, I don't think it is thrown in there. I think the principle is throughout the whole chapter. It's We talked about the underdog, I mean, without saying underdog. And so I think that this is kind of not the exact same thing, but it's it's within that principle vein. And that's that, you know, this person, he's poor, but he's wise. And nobody wants to listen to him. But he saved the city. 
Yeah. And then he's forgotten. Hevel of Hevels. Hevel, yep. You know, so we're back to Hevel. And um, he doesn't say that. Like, he he ends it on a low note. But the beginning of that last verse is such a high note. <laughs> yeah. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. And, man, let me tell you, chapter 10 is all about that. Like, we're going to get into that next episode. But, I mean, like, whew, some nice heavy stuff. There. But even 17, like, words of the wise, spoken quietly, should be heard, rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Right. And so, like, to me, it connects. I mean, yeah, I mean, I see the so connection abstract. there. abstract. Yeah. Like, it almost seems psychologically, random. it's just, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Like, it's, it seems disjointed. But to me, I picked up that thread and maybe I saw it wrong. No, but I mean, no, I don't think you did. Or maybe I'm overemphasizing it, but I do think it does fit in on that peripheral, on the periphery outskirts. It says, you know, by his wisdom, he delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But he he did. Yeah. He remembers the old wise man. Which he said it impressed him in the NASB. In the ESV, he said it seemed great to me. But it said there was a little city with few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it. Which that's another thing. And he doesn't go into it. And this is me kind of dancing around the topic a little bit. But that's the thing, like, this is such a modest, humble little kingdom. And this great king came and wanted it, which is another kind of a hevel of hevels. Like, why? Why? Yeah. Just just for the sake of power, probably. You know, we don't know the reason he doesn't give it. Um, but the fact that he would mention that it was a little city with few men in it. It doesn't even say a single word about the king of that little city. If there was a king, I guess. Right. You know, because it is a city. And somehow he delivered it. It doesn't tell us how other than through his wisdom. Which I guess that's really kind of the story of the Israelites. And, you know, we call it the conquest. But it wasn't really a conquest. It was all God. Through his wisdom, he would have gotten from God. And so God delivered that city. And that's kind of what God does. He always uses the underdog. So think of it spiritually then. Apply it spiritually. Right. Think of the church individually, you know, congregations. You know, it's just this little city with few men. But one wise man in there can save, you know, quote unquote, save the congregation. Can do good. Yeah, can 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 keep the congregation from dying off the vine. From letting Satan come and snatch it. You know, because we know that the church stands and will always stand. Right. But individual congregations can dissolve. A lot of the warnings, I want to say most of the warnings in the New Testament are in, internal. Yeah. All internal, of them. Yeah. Internal warnings. We don't really have to be warned about the world. We, we're warned to keep ourselves unspotted. We're warned to stay away from things we don't need to be around and people we don't need to be around. But that's very few and far between. Most of the warnings are people coming in looking like angels of light it doesn't say that it talks about satan's Mm -hmm. you know um angels being disguised as angels of light they can do that apparently and distract us from our focus which is souls you know and to us like even even the smallest congregation with the smallest roll sheet if you want to call it that satan's happy to take it 
Well, it says, you know, a little city, but then a great king. I mean, we can't deny Satan's. He has power. He's, yeah, for he sure. He has power. He doesn't have the ultimate power. And no. He's not going to win ultimately, but we do know he does have some and power. And he knows he's not going to win ultimately. He knows, you know, he's just going to take down as many as he can in the process. I wonder if he really does know, though. Do you think, like. Yeah, I think he knows. But I was thinking, though, so there has to be that one wise man. I mean, there should be more, of course, but there's got to be at least that one wise man that can stand up against the evils and lead a congregation. That's why it's so important that elders are wise men that truly love souls and the people within that city, that little city. Yes, very true. Otherwise, it, it will be besieged, as it says yeah. here. All right, and that's when he continues on. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. And that principle works smarter, not harder. Yeah. Be wiser. This is the thing. We know Jesus was the wisest, most loving. He was all the wonderful things embodied in a human. Um, and he didn't convert everybody he met. The last part of this verse... And the last part of 18 are such downers, (laughs) you know, but I think it's, I can take encouragement from it. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there before we get to the end. Why? Because I'm going to use that at the end. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Anyway, so moving on, moving on, detox before I give it away. Well, that really just brings us to. <laughs> All right, Stephanie, continue your thought of where you so see, I the, see love the love of Christ. So I see the love of Christ at the end of 16 in the fact, and the end of 18, the fact that those things are recorded there. Because a lot of times when we're not told that things, that this is the way things are, we expect, we have expectations that aren't unmet and we become so discouraged, you know, if there weren't the verses about all the trials in the New Testament, how many of us would think, oh, I'm doing something wrong here? And we're not. Like, it's an indication of living rightly, living righteously and correctly. And the fact that, you know, this poor man's wisdom was despised, you know, that is a basic principle, I think, that he's teaching here. It's not just a one-time thing. That's what he's saying here. It's it's an example, but it's a principle. And so... When people don't listen to me when I try to give them the Bible, because that's where the wisdom's coming from. You know, we look at James 3. We know that's where it's coming from. When it's despised and my words aren't heard, it's not me. I don't need I don't need to shoulder that burden. That's not on me. Sometimes even if I've done it not the best way, you know, even if I've kind of stumbled, that's not completely on me. And so that's where I see it. The fact that we have, it's not a warning, but I'm taking it as a warning. <laughs> I hope that's not wrong to do. But I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of that principle and saying this is an example he's giving us. And it keeps us from being discouraged. It might be a downer. Like the principle is a downer. But the fact that I can know, that I can look at that and go, okay, I shouldn't take it personally. Well, I see it in verse one. To me, that's encouraging because it says, you know, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. Jesus is at the right hand of God, and if Jesus is there, then, you know, the righteous and the works of the righteous are there, too. I just, there, it's simple. (laughs) That is simple. It's less convoluted than me, for sure. (laughs) Well, we want to thank you again for joining us today. 
We hope that you enjoyed the study and that you will reach out if you have any needs for study or any questions. Of course, we'd love to study with you or connect you to someone that's local to you. Oh, there is a question. If you listen on Spotify, there's like a a poll, I guess you could say, a question. So, you know, feel free to answer that. We'd love to know what you think. Yes, please, please. <laughs> we love talking to each other, but we also love talking to other people. That's right. <laughs> but as always, we hope that you are seeking to know the love of Christ in your own life. Until next time. Bye. bye. If you like this episode, be sure and share it with someone. In doing so, you're sharing the love of Christ.